0: Welcome to this month's special programming series focus on cancer on REACHMD XM157. Genes, Oncogenes, and Malignancy. Cancer at the molecular level. You're listening to REACHMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn. And joining me today is Dr. Levi Garraway, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Harvard Medical School. Dr. Garraway is also with the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and he's a recent recipient of the NIH Director's New Innovator Award. He comes to us today from his office in Boston. Levi, thanks for being with us. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about cancer at the molecular level, but maybe first, could you give us a little background and what your medical background is and and how you came to be interested in this particular line of research?
1: Well, I did my medical training at Harvard Medical School and my internship and residency at Massachusetts General Hospital, where I also served as chief resident in medicine. And then I did my fellowship training at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute.
0: And cancer in general? And I know you do a lot of work in melanoma and have some interest in prostate cancer.
1: Certainly. Yeah, the original interest in cancer actually came when I was doing my Ph.D. training, which occurred in the middle of medical school. And I was actually on one path. I was expecting to do infectious disease, and that was the research I was doing. But my father developed prostate cancer, which was obviously a big event, caused me to start thinking a great deal more about cancer. And this also caused me to feel unsatisfied about the status of cancer biology and and understanding of how to treat cancers. And next thing I knew, I was heading down the path to oncology, which has been a highly exciting and meaningful journey so far.
0: Well, you've contributed a lot to our thinking and knowledge base of cancer at the molecular level. Maybe you could just share with us an overview of the paradigm that refocuses or repostures cancer as a molecular disease versus an anatomic one.
1: So our premise, the premise that guides our research is that certainly we can think of it as occurring in different parts of the body. And in fact, that's how the treatment of cancer is structured. So if it occurs in the lung, you go to a thoracic clinic. If it occurs in the colon, you go to GI clinic, et cetera. But we also recognize that at a molecular level, cancer doesn't necessarily respect anatomic boundaries. Instead, we can think of it as a disease of the genome. So every cancer consists in its essence of a particular cocktail of genes that are aberrantly turned on, otherwise known as oncogenes, or genes that are aberrantly turned off, otherwise known as tumor suppressor genes. And the thought is that that particular cocktail will in large part direct the entire biology. Why did the cancer cell occur in the first place? Why is it aggressive? Why doesn't it respond to therapy, etc.? So the thought is that understanding, being able to collect that information, catalog it, and understand how it impacts biology should make us smarter in terms of better cancer treatments.
0: So that cancer biology directs how we think about it, obviously will eventually direct how we treat it. Has that come to any fruition as yet? Would you say that the understanding of cancer at the molecular level has already changed the way we approach treatments of any common cancers?
1: So I think that some of the most spectacular successes in the past decade or two in terms of using targeted cancer treatments have, in fact, derived from instances where, particular genetic understanding has led us to choose the right drug. And I think the classic example in this regard is the success in treating chronic myelogenous leukemia, which was historically very difficult to treat, usually requiring bone marrow transplantation, which may or may not have been successful. Now, using a single oral agent, Gleevec, which works because it's targeting a particular genetic alteration that leads to a new protein product that is driving the cancer, that has led to dramatic responses in which, are, which are durable. So that's an example where the field has been changed. Now, I should say that... Although that was an exciting example, there were lots of skeptics about that because the feeling was, well, chronic myelogenous leukemia is not a true cancer. Maybe it's a precancerous state. But then a few years later, when an outstanding scientist named George Dimitri was sort of realizing together with people like Brian Drucker and others that a solid tumor, a sarcoma called gastrointestinal stromal tumor, had a mutation that would be predicted to confer susceptibility to the same drug, to Gleevec. Now, that was a solid tumor that also had other genetic alterations, and when Gleevex started melting away those cancers, mm. that made people think, well, wow, that's different. That's a real cancer. No one can say that that's a, uh-huh. a pre-cancer uh-huh. condition. So now, there was still skepticism because you could say, well, but that's a sarcoma. That's a rare disease. Hardly anybody gets that. Surely that's not representative of the common cancers that everybody gets. But then, when it was observed that lung cancer or a subset of lung cancer that was defined by genetic alterations in a gene called the EGFR were responsive to a similar type of drug or a related drug called Tarceva or ERISA. Now, there, that started to dispense that argument. So no one can say lung cancer is a rare cancer. I mean, that's one of the most common. So the fact that you could also find genetic subsets of lung cancer that obeyed the same rules, okay, now the uh, skepticism starts to be pushed back a little bit, although there are still challenges ahead.
0: That cocktail you referred to of molecular alterations, when you compare a GIST, sarcoma versus chronic myelogenous leukemia versus some lung tumor, is it the exact same cocktail of mutations or is it, are there things in common with the three of them? What was it that would drive you to believe that a subset of lung cancers would respond to Glebeck?
1: Sure. So for any given set of cancers, there may be alterations that are either identical or similar. They could be similar because even though they're not affecting the same gene or affecting a gene in the same way, they might be influencing the same pathway. So the same cellular pathway gets affected. So there can certainly be similarities. Now, in the particular cases that I mentioned, which were chronic myelogenous leukemia and GIST, it happened that the same drug was targeting two different proteins, both of which could act as cancer-causing proteins.
0: I see. Well, for those of you who are just tuning in, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals, I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Levi Garraway, and we're talking about cancer at the molecular level. So, Levi, we talked about this cocktail of molecular alterations and the fact that some of these are very complicated. There's a lot of genomic instability, as you put it. Is it too complicated? Is it going to be too expensive to translate this kind of research to the more frequent business of treating everyday cancer patients?
1: It's not going to be easy, but I think we're helped by the fact that not all cancer-associated mutations are created equal. There are some that are crucial for the biology or for the maintenance of a cancer, whereas there are others that may make a bad thing worse or may not even be relevant at all. They may have been bystander alterations. So I think a major task is first to sort out the critical driver mutations in cancer from those that are not driver mutations. The driver mutations are likely to comprise a a much smaller subset than the total spectrum of what you can see even in a given cancer. You might see dozens and dozens of alterations in a given cancer. So that's really a, a major task right now is to sort out what is the critical driver mutation or set of mutations in a given type of cancer from the rest. Knowing that makes your life a lot easier because that sort of narrows the universe considerably in terms of what pathways you may need to develop drugs against.
0: Now, you and your coworkers have developed a system that screens a patient's tumor for some mutations. Are those critical driver mutations that you're trying to get at in those?
1: So the idea here was exactly that. Not all cancer mutations are created equal, and in fact, decades of research have told us a great deal about the kinds of activating mutations in cancer genes that tend to be extremely important in cancer. So our thought was, well, We know a lot of those. We can design an assay using some high-throughput genotyping technologies. We can design an assay that will profile a tumor for all of these alterations, and we can do it with good sensitivity and actually without breaking the bank. I mean, this has been a concern that, yeah, you could obviously, if you wanted to, you could sequence the entire genome of a patient, but that would cost so much money that it becomes impractical. Mm -hmm. But in fact, much of the relevant information that you might want, you could extract from cancer without breaking the bank. And so that, we published this paper was a nice proof of principle, and so now the question is, since we've shown the proof of principle, can we actually convert this to something that could be applied in real life for real-time clinical use?
0: Is that part of the direction of your future research? Is that where you're going to be going in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, Now, part of this ends up being how do you create the right infrastructure to be able to collect this information and bring it through and perform the assay in a way that's CLIA certified, so that it's a clinical diagnostic lab type thing. So there's a lot of issues around doing that, but absolutely a major goal is not just to discover new things, but to bring those forward in a translational capacity so that they can be used by clinicians in Hmm. the long run.
0: What do you say to clinicians in terms of when's something like that kind of screening going to be ready for prime time? When am I going to be able to submit my patient's tumor sample for a screening of oncogenes?
1: There are two answers to the question. One answer is certainly in the research arm, it's coming soon. This is inevitable. Everybody recognizes that to have effective clinical trials using targeted agents, it's going to be necessary to stratify the patient pool so that one can select patients that are most likely to benefit from the treatment. So really, the issue has been recognized for some time and there are great efforts afoot to bring these types of tests forward into the clinical trial arena. Now, To get to the next level, which is that of the oncologist or physician in the community, there needs to be demonstration of utility in the clinical trial setting for that to happen. And so obviously that takes time. The trials have to be appropriately designed and executed, and even the test has to be validated in that setting. So, you know, diagnostics and therapeutics have to go through this process, but this is where the field is, the progress in this regard is inevitable. So I think it's not a matter of whether, it's just a matter of when.
0: Anything you can share with us about the direction of your group's work in the future?
1: Certainly. So we're very interested in understanding a couple of things. Number one is, given that we can, in fact, characterize whole tumors for the types of alterations that have happened across the genome, we are now uh, taking systematic experimental approaches to using lab-based models of these cancers where we know this information to really understand what was the gene or the pathway that was being targeted in these cancers. So the goal is, can we assign a target and therefore a biology that's linked to all of the major alterations in at least the cancers that we study, which tend to be melanoma and prostate cancer. So that's one area. The other is to understand how can, in fact, how can we be smart knowing these critical alterations? How can we design the most optimal therapy? And one premise here is that it's not going to be sufficient to target just one pathway. We're going to have to target more than one. And so the question is how many and by what means can we do that? And so we're asking these questions using specific types of genetic alterations as examples.
0: Well, it sounds like the whole basis of thinking about cancer has changed since you were in medical school and uh, which sort of leads me to think about another question. Do you see the teaching of cancer and cancer treatment to medical students and residents and fellows? Do you see that changing now? Or are you part of that? Do you participate in that?
1: certainly. So I certainly teach students and residents as part of what I do here. I think actually it will go even beyond that. There will come a time where even trained oncologists are going to have to go back and rethink about some of their cancers in terms of the types of genetic alterations they should be looking for because as targeted therapies become more and more prevalent, one is going to need to be able to match those to particular genetic or molecular changes. That's something that most of us had relatively limited exposure to. There weren't so many cases where the genetics was driving the choice of therapy. Genetics had been relevant for cancer diagnosis for a long time in terms of prognostication and that kind of thing, but increasingly, knowledge of these particular genes and pathways will be important in terms of choosing the right targeted therapy for the right cancer patient.
0: I want to thank Dr. Levi Garraway for being our guest. We've been discussing cancer at the molecular level. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to The Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals, as we feature a special series, Focus on Cancer.